church. Hope you are doing well today. Um, we are going to jump pretty quickly into uh, the fourth week of the series we're currently in called The Gospel. And uh, we've been looking at the book of Galatians. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Galatians. Uh, we're going to read the end of chapter three, and we're going to uh, go into chapter four today. And uh, I, while you're turning there, I do want to say that uh, last week was a pretty awesome Sunday, just seeing how God moved and um, how his spirit did so many great things. And uh, if you were here at nine, um, you'll remember the gentleman who came up to receive salvation before the message. And as I was praying through that and thinking through that the rest of this week and really last Sunday, the scripture that kept coming to my mind is out of Zechariah chapter four, verse six. And it says, not by might, nor by, by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And that's really what I feel like the Lord was teaching me last Sunday, is that uh, the things that God does, the work he wants to do, the power of Jesus in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is really how eternal work happens. And that's really what this book of Galatians is about. It's about Paul trying to keep the Galatian churches from turning back to works and turning from grace. And he's saying, listen, the power of the Spirit, the power of God working is found through faith. We're saved by faith. We're given righteousness or right standing with God by faith. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And that's really what Paul is encouraging them with and challenging them with and even is a little bit angry with them about is that they're turning from the gospel of grace in Christ. Um, grace being God's unconditional love, his unmerited favor, um, his power in our lives. They're turning from that and they're turning to a works-based salvation where they're trying to earn God's love. They're trying to earn God's grace. They're trying to earn um, their right standing with God. And so that's what's going on in the book of Galatians. Last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter three, and we talked about how uh, by faith they had received the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and really a challenge last week was, are we hungry for that? Do we want that? Do we want more of God? Do we want more of Him? And my heart is and my prayer is that we would be a church, we'd be a people who desperately desire God, uh, just like we would desire our next breath. And so we're gonna continue in this thought today where we're looking at how Paul is writing to this church to encourage them in what they've received and challenging them not to turn away from faith in Christ and turning to this workspace mindset. And so um, I want to read to you chapter 3, verse 26, and we're going to go into chapter 4. And so I want to read a few verses to you, then we'll pray. It says in Galatians 3, 26, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so he's saying again, by faith you become God's children. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for 
you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, there's no superiority because of your race. There's no superiority because of your gender. There's no superiority because you're a slave or because you're free. Jesus has made us all one. There's unity in the gospel in Christ. He says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We'll look at that in just a minute, what he means by the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. These are a lot of words. We're gonna look at these uh, and break them down a little bit in just a minute. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I wasted my efforts on you. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word, I thank you, God, for your spirit, God. I thank you that, um, God, as you showed us last week, uh, you, you don't have to have us. You don't have to use us, God, but you choose to. And so today, Lord, I pray that your power would work through your word. I pray, God, that um, you would work through me. I thank you that when we are weak, God, you are strong and Lord, um, we just wanna see you move. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts. I pray that you would do eternal work in us, that no one would leave the same way that they walked through the doors this morning. God, we love you and thank you for all that you've done in Jesus, in his name. We pray, amen. Amen, well, I don't know how many of y'all have had this so far, but anybody had the good old stomach bug that's been going around the, the Bullet County, the nation, the world, anybody? Obviously I'm the only one, so. And thankfully I had it last night and this morning, and so um, I was up most of the night with this stomach virus, and uh, so if you see me walk off stage, just sit tight, I'll be right back. Um, <laughs> We have a trash can sitting back there behind the curtain. And so uh, if I'm gone, it won't be long and I'll be back. And um, it's kind of interesting, no one's sitting on the front row. That's probably a good thing. Um, one, because you don't want to get sick. And then two, you don't want to end up with, you know. And so anyway, I tell you that to, for one to say, if this, this, has, uh, this message is incoherent, you understand why, right? Um, but two, it really ties into what God's put in my heart to talk to you about ultimately this morning. And really thinking about this morning as uh, my alarm went off and I really didn't sleep last night, 
Um, and so I get up and, and everything in me wanted to get back in bed. When I got in my truck to drive here, everything in me wanted to turn around and go home. I text with John and Joey last night and said, which one of y'all want to be up in case I can't make this tomorrow? And so we, we uh, decided Joey. And so everything in me wanted to say, Joey, you step in and do this, even though you've had like four hours to prepare uh, this message. And so, um, and so everything in me, once I got here, there was everything in me because of how I felt, uh, wanted to get back in my truck and go home. Um, even coming out here, uh, my stomach feels like it's tied up in knots and it's just like one cramp, you know, so it just don't feel well. And I say that to say this, that everything in me wanted to turn back. And the thing that's been in my heart today or, and all week as I've been praying through this message is really looking at how so many times um, adversity makes us want to turn back from where we were going. I, I believe with all my heart that I'm exactly where I was supposed to be this morning. I believe with all my heart that I'm supposed to be here with you um, preaching God's word and sharing uh, what he's put in my heart. Not because someone else can't do it, I just believe this is where I'm supposed to be. I believe this is where you're supposed to be. But so many times God is trying to get us to a certain place, but when adversity comes, we oftentimes want to turn and go the other way. And I thought about this week, how many times, and we're gonna get to this more in just a minute, but here's the main thought of this message. How many times is it that we get to the buildup right before the breakthrough and then we break down. Think about that in your life. How many times have you been going towards where God wanted you to go, moving towards something that God put in your heart to do and before we get there, there's this buildup of adversity because listen, you do have an enemy. Paul speaks in chapter four about the elemental spiritual forces um, in uh, two different places. We do have an enemy who wants to keep us from going where God wants us to go. And so we have to realize this and many people today dismiss this, even in the church, that we don't have an enemy, that this enemy is not real. But my thought on that is that maybe that's why the church and so many Christians are getting our butt kicked because we don't even recognize that there's an enemy we're really fighting. And so we need to come to a realization that there is an enemy who wants to keep us from going to where God wants us to go. There's an enemy who maybe he can't steal our soul, but he can certainly rob us of life. He can certainly rob us of purpose and doing and accomplishing the things that God wants us to accomplish, becoming the people that God wants us to become. Listen, to, to see our marriage go to the next level, to see it become all that God wants it to become, to see our parenting and our children become who they are created to be, um, to see how we influence and impact our our, our workplace, to see how we influence and impact the relationships and the people around us, to see how um, so many times people, even in ministry, get to this point of a breakthrough where God is about to do something 
incredible. And then the adversity builds and we begin to back up. And that's really what Paul is telling them here in chapter four, verse nine. He says, how is it that you're turning back? How is it that you're turning back? He's saying, when you weren't in Christ, when you didn't have faith in Jesus, he's saying you were slaves to these elemental spiritual forces. He's saying you were slaves to Satan, to the de demonic forces. You were slaves to the law, the rules, trying to make yourself good enough for God. And what he's challenging them with is why are you turning from all that God's done for you? If you look at chapter three and where we were last week, it's really important to see how this is building on itself because what Paul wants them to see and what he's trying to teach them is look at what you're about to give up. Look at what you're about to walk away from. And so he begins in chapter three with those verses that we talked about last week where we received the spirit by faith. And he's saying that when you receive the spirit by faith, it means that you are accepted by God. God gave you his spirit to confirm what he's done in your life. He's saying by faith, you receive right standing. Then he goes into a section there in chapter three where he starts talking about Abraham. Abraham was really the patriarch of the Jewish faith. God began to reestablish relationship and he chose a people to bring forth the Messiah through Abraham. And the Bible says in chapter three that the promise, this promise that all nations would be blessed came through Abraham. And so Paul says that Abraham also was made righteous by faith. And so when you start looking at this, Paul is basically treading on holy ground as far as the Jewish people were concerned because he's saying, look, you're not children of Abraham because you obey the law, the rules, the things that um, Moses gave you. He's saying you're children of Abraham. You're made right with God the same way that Abraham was made right with God by faith in God's promises. And so we see that the promise came through Abraham. And then he goes on down and he starts talking about the law. And he talks about how the law was given to Moses. And he says, basically, and I'm going to summarize chapter three pretty quickly. But he says, basically, the purpose of the law was not to make us righteous. It was to reveal righteousness. And he says the promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed by God came before the law. And he's saying, so look, you can't throw the promise out because now Moses has brought this law. He's saying you're missing the purpose. He's saying the purpose of the law was two things. One, it was to restrain us. It was to give us a guide, a guardian, as Paul calls it in chapter four. He says the other purpose of the law was to reveal. He says it was to reveal righteousness. It revealed the righteousness of God, the character and nature of God. And by default, when it revealed the righteousness of God, it also revealed the sinfulness of man. And so what Paul's saying is, look, 
when the law came, the purpose of the law was to reveal God. And when you took the revelation of who God is and his righteousness and his holiness and his character and nature, and you put it next to mankind, you see the gap that exists. And so it revealed the righteousness of God. It revealed the sinfulness of man and it revealed our need for a savior. And so he's saying, look, the promise was given by faith. The purpose of the law was to show you who God is, but it wasn't to bring the promise. Then he goes into who Jesus is. He says, once this faith has come, you're no longer under that guardian. The revelation has come. The, 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 the purpose of the law has been fulfilled. And so with Abraham, we see that God gave the promise. With Moses, we see that in a way, God revealed the problem. Because had the law never come, the rules and, and the effort to try to get to God on our own, we would have never known how far, far short we fall when it comes to us and God. We'd have never seen the gap. So the law revealed this. And he says, but now Jesus has come. And you get to these amazing scriptures in Verse 26, when he begins to tell us what Jesus has done for us, he says, listen, that now you've been made children. You've been made sons. You've been made daughters. And he says, this is what Jesus did for you. You're no longer slaves under the law trying to work your way to God. He's saying, now you've been adopted he tells us that Jesus came in chapter four. He says he came to redeem. In other words, he bought us back from the curse of the law. He bought us back by taking our sin, by taking our place on the cross. So he redeemed us. He also says he did this so that we could come to a place of being adopted by God, where we become his children, where we become his sons and his daughters. And he tells us this is a marvelous thing because he says that um, all of us who were baptized into Christ, in other words, he's saying all of you who through baptism, it symbolized your death and sin, but you come back alive in Christ. He's saying you have new life. He's saying Jesus has given you a new life. He's saying this is why 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that he was in Christ as a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's true. He's saying Jesus has given you new life. And then he goes on and he talks about being clothed with Christ through faith. And he says, because of this, not only have you been given new life, but you've also been given a new way of living. That you're, you're living the way that you live has been transformed because Jesus has broken the power of sin off of your life. Those chains have been broken. We no longer have to live that way. There's a greater power in us now than sin. And the spirit in us that tells us we belong to God gives us the ability as we Walk with God. We walk in tune with the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us to live a new life. And he says in verse 26 that all this came through faith. It came through belief. It came through trust in God's promises. And so when we look at this, he's saying 
the riches of God's grace, right standing with God, being made right with him, reconciliation, the power of the Holy Spirit, all of these things have come not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you and by you simply trusting in what God has done. And so he goes into chapter four and, and he sets up a contrast. And he says, listen, this is what God has done for you, what he's made you. And then he goes through and tells us why that happened because Jesus redeemed us and so we were adopted. But when you get on in there, he talks about how we were slaves under the law, under this, this work-based mentality, this performance-based mentality. And then in verse eight, he says, formerly, you did not know God. He says, you were slaves to those, those who by nature are not gods. And so he goes on and says, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back? And so he sets up this contrast. He says, listen, you were slaves, now you've become sons and daughters. He says, you were ignorant of God. Now you know God and are known by God. And his point is this, why would you turn back to slavery and ignorance? And so he's challenging them and it challenges us because we all have this same tendency to turn back from where God's taking us and go back to what we know. And he even tells them that you were under the influence of these things that were not God's. Basically what he's saying is you've turned to God, you've experienced the riches of his grace, you've experienced all of these things, this incredible work, the Spirit's power in you. And he says, why? Would you turn from that? Why would you walk away from that? Why would you not keep going, keep stepping, keep pressing, keep moving? And I really believe it's because the buildup to the breakthrough is where we break down. When God is taking us to some place and adversity comes, we oftentimes turn back to what we know. Proverbs even talks about this. He talk, it talks about how just as, and this is fitting for stomach virus day, but just as a dog you know, returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly, and Paul's already called them foolish. He's saying you're returning to what couldn't give you life. He's saying you're returning to these weak and miserable forces. In other words, they're weak. They cannot deliver you. They cannot save you. They cannot empower you. He's saying it's impossible for them to bless you, but you're turning back to these things. But how true is that so many times in our life when adversity begins to come? And I started thinking about the whole book of Galatians. And here's where my thought process went, is why would this message from these other people, these Judaizers that was basically telling them, 
You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. You need to follow the rules. If you're gonna be a Christian, if you're gonna be in a relationship with God, then you need to do faith, yes, but then you need to do these things too if you're going to have right standing with God. And I thought about why after they've experienced so much would that message even be appealing? Why would they even consider it? And I started realizing that in the book of Galatians, there is this undertone of persecution. When you go and look at Galatians 1.10, Paul talks about it there. He says, look, I'm not trying to please men. If I was trying to please men, I wouldn't be preaching the gospel. It goes on even further and he, he talks in 2.12, uh, Galatians 2.12, where Peter drew back from eating with the non-Jews out of fear. Fear of what? Being persecuted. Galatians 3.4, Paul challenges them and says, have you experienced or have you suffered so much in vain? He said, you've been through all of this. Are you gonna throw it away now? Galatians 6, 12, he tells them that these people are compelling you to be circumcised, to follow the law, to try to make yourself right with God through the law, simply so that they won't be persecuted. And as I looked at this, I started realizing and seeing that I believe the reason this message was appealing is because it could remove the adversity or the persecution that came with the gospel. And so Paul is telling them, don't turn back. Don't lose sight of where God's taking you. Don't lose sight of all that God wants to do in your life. Don't forsake sonship or being a daughter of the king to go back to slavery, go back to where you were. He's saying, don't forsake the knowledge of God and go back to this ignorance and living according to the world. But how much do we do that? And there's so many people that God begins to work in their life. He begins to take them to a certain place. He begins to do the work he wants to do in them and, and the work he wants to do through them. And then when adversity comes, we go back to what we knew. I see people in their marriages that they begin on a path to reconciliation. They begin on a path to see their marriage become all that God created it to be. And they get to this point of adversity and one or both turn back. We get frustrated with our children and we try to teach them the gospel or we try to teach them the right way and teaching them about following God, but we get frustrated. And so sometimes we just give up and turn back. It's just something that is a tendency we all have. And I was thinking about what Paul was saying about the slavery and going to sonship and then going back to slavery. It made me think about the book of Exodus. It made me think about Moses and, and, and when the Jewish people were going to be delivered out of slavery under Pharaoh. And if you have read that, if you've heard a lot of those uh, accounts there in the book of Exodus, you know that God did incredible things in their life. 
He did incredible miracles. He delivered them out from under slavery to Pharaoh. He had them cross the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh's army. He fed them with manna. He fed them quail. He did all of these things. But if you go and really read the history of the nation of Israel, what you see is that as God is trying to take them to the promise, they consistently wanted to go back to where they came from. Consistently, over and over and over again. When the adversity came, they wanted to turn and go back. And so I thought about why does adversity do that in our lives? Why do when we begin to face the buildup before the breakthrough, why do we break down? What causes that? And I realized that a lot of what adversity does is it makes us romanticize the pain of our past. That's one of the things that happened to the nation of Israel when they were brought out of Egypt. Adversity makes us romanticize the pain of our past. And so when we look back on it, that pain many times and what we went through, it isn't as bad in the rearview mirror as it was when we were going through it. And so we think maybe it was even better. That's what the Israelites always said was it was better for us in Egypt. No, it wasn't. They had no rights. They had no freedom. They were abused but they wanted to go back. It was as if that adversity had made them forget what God had brought them from. And that's another effect of adversity. It takes our eyes off of all that God has already done. Think about what God's done in your life. All that he's already worked. If you're a Christian, listen, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have received salvation. You have been reconciled to God. You have been made righteous. You have right standing with him. You have been brought into eternal life, not in the future, but now. You have received the spirit of God, which is greater than the spirit of this world. You've been set free from the power of sin. You've been set free from the power of death, the power of hell, the power of the grave. But so many times we forget all that God's done. It takes our eyes off. And so when the buildup, the adversity begins to come before the breakthrough, we forget all that God's done. The Israelites did this. They crossed, listen, this is crazy. They just saw the Red Sea part. They walked through on dry ground. They watched the water kill Pharaoh's army. And then they get to a place where they don't have anything to eat and they want to go back to Egypt. They forgot all that God has already done and, and what he was doing in them and wanted to do through them and the promise that he was taking them to. And so they wanted to go back because they took their eyes off of all that God has already done. It's like adversity can give us this spiritual amnesia and that present challenges can make us forget all that God's already done. Adversity also keeps us in old patterns of thinking. 
You see this consistently with those Israelites. That they couldn't think like God's people. They consistently had the mindset of Egyptian slaves. And for so, for everybody, the patterns of thinking that we hold on to because we're not renewing our minds to think the way God tells us to think. We don't think of ourselves as children of God, as sons, as daughters. We think of ourselves still as we were. And we see ourselves in light of the past instead of in light of the promise. And so we have this misconception, this wrong thinking. And our minds need to be renewed to think differently. And guess what? This takes work. And when the adversity comes, it's so easy to just go back to how I thought, what I did, what the, 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 the mindset I had. But God's word, his truth is here to renew our minds, to teach us to think differently, to rewire our brains, to see ourselves in Christ, to not see ourselves according to our past, but according to his promise. Adversity also weakens our resolve and diminishes our strength. As we feel like we're fighting and walking and trying to get through this buildup, this adversity to get through the breakthrough. So many times we feel weak. We lose our resolve to keep going. What seemed to be so appealing loses its appeal because it becomes difficult. But we've got to remember that when we're weak, he's strong. That when we're at the end of our rope, at the end of ourselves, it's not such a bad place to be all the time. Because then we can lean into him. We lose our self-sufficiency and we begin to trust in the power of God. The Israelites consistently wanted to give up, to go back. And so do we so many times. But God's promise is he gives us the strength to get us to where he's taking us. Then the adversity can harden our hearts to God's promises. It can harden our hearts to God's promises. It happened with the Israelites when they were in slavery. They, they, God sends Moses to them and they wouldn't believe what Moses was saying because they were so discouraged by the situation that they were in. And so many of us have been or are in places where our hearts have become hardened to the promise of God. That he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he has a plan and a purpose for us, that we belong to him, that we've been reconciled to him, that we are his sons, that we are his daughters. And our hearts oftentimes become hardened to his promises. And to sum all of that up, it's really this, that adversity can strain our faith and weaken our trust in the promises of God. It's really what happens is we come to a place where we take our eyes off of God's promises and we put them on our circumstances. 
It, it should be where God's promises bring expectation. So that when we're, we're, we're walking and we're going through life, there's an expectation that even in the buildup, even in the adversity, God's promise is still true and an expectation that God is going to do what he's promised he will do. But we oftentimes take our eyes off of that. And, and I'll tell you this morning that part of the problem with us trusting in the promises, part of the problem with adversity taking our eyes off of the promises is that we have equated faith with feeling. Faith's not a feeling. Faith is a choice. It's when all hell is breaking loose and everything around me says, you need to put your eyes on the circumstances that I choose to go to God's word and put my eyes on the promise. It's easier said than done. But I feel like so many of us have experienced this in our lives. I feel like so many of us are in this place right now that we're going towards something that God wants for us, who he wants us to become, his purposes for our life. But the buildup before the breakthrough is threatening a breakdown of our faith. And today, this is what I feel like all of this was intended to tell you is don't stop stepping. Don't quit moving towards where God is taking you. Don't put your eyes on the adversity. Don't put your eyes on the circumstance. Put your eyes on the promise. Don't put your eyes on your past. Put your eyes on the promise of God and where he's taking you because it's always going to be true. God is faithful to fulfill every promise he has ever given. Put your eyes on the promise. Put your eyes on Christ so that you can run the race with perseverance. Not turning back as Paul warns these Galatians. Don't turn back to what was. Think about all that God's done, all that God's yet to do and keep moving towards where he's taking you. I've seen this so much in my own life because I know for me, adversity and challenges always make me want to stop short of where God wants me to go. When we started the church, it was the greatest adversity that I'd ever faced. Even I'd worked in the construction business and the roofing industry. The greatest adversity was not being on a roof when it's a hundred and hell up on top of that roof. The greatest adversity was when I got into ministry and I experienced the spiritual attack, the emotional attack, the mental attack. And I can remember telling a lady who was helping us when we first started the church one day, we were having some challenges and facing some adversity. And I remember telling her, I'm gonna see this church through, even if it kills me. I don't know why, but for nine and a half years now, that statement has always stuck in my head. And I didn't realize that five to six years later, 
that statement would become almost fulfilled. Because five to six years into the church, into the ministry, I hit a wall. I hit a wall and I was, I was in a place where I'd never been before. I started experiencing, and some of you heard me talk about this, I started experiencing incredible fatigue. Started going to doctors and they did every blood work they could possibly do and there was nothing showing up. And so finally, I get to one doctor and he says, you need to go see a psychiatrist. Although I knew I was kind of crazy, but come on doc. So I went and sit down with a psychiatrist and you don't do that when you're a Christian. You don't do that when you're a pastor. And so I sit down and he diagnoses my problem as major depression syndrome. I'm like, no, Christians can't be depressed because we have the joy of the Lord, right? But the further I walked in this, the more I realized it was true, it was real. And so I went through the last four or five years. And when I look back on it, honestly, I don't know other than God's grace, how I got to this point. There were very, very dark days. There were dark days that I didn't care if I woke up in the morning. There were days that I didn't care if I lived or if I died. And it was confusing because when I looked at everything in my life, there was no reason I can tell you that the only thing that got me through those days, one, was faith. It wasn't a feeling, it was a choice. I stood here many Sundays during that time and I would say the best is yet to come. But there was nothing inside of me in my self that felt that that was true. But there was something inside of me that was of God that said the promise is true. And it helped me take another step. I never would have made it through that that hadn't been for my wife and my boys. I always wanted to be a good husband. I always wanted to be a good father. I tried to fulfill those responsibilities. I think I did a pretty good job, but I still feel like there was part of that time that things were taken from me that I could never get back. But they love me anyway. 
I never would have made it hadn't been for this church. Prayers, support, people help me take another step. Several months ago, I was reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and it was talking about King Asa. And King Asa had began to trust in some foreign enemy armies to help defeat the enemies. And short of the long is, as he got to the end of his life, he was stricken with a disease in his feet. And the scripture said that King Asa, even in that time, never turned to the Lord. He only turned to physicians. And when I read that, I realized that I'd never really prayed for myself. Sometimes it feels selfish. Sometimes it's kind of the last thing on your mind, even when you're walking through adversity. But I just started praying, God, will you heal me physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally? It wasn't long after that, that this was in October. I got to one of the lowest places I've ever been. I was like, well, that worked. I kept praying it. Not because I felt it, because I made a choice. Not long after that, I was at my doctor's office and I was ready to give up. I was ready to throw in the towel. And he said, I want to try one more thing. And he gave me a medicine. I got a drawer of full of medicines and things that I've tried. And he gave me this new medicine. I didn't think much about it. After about five days, I could start telling a little bit of a difference. And within four or five weeks, I began to feel like I'm my old self again. And I say that to say that the last three months, I felt better than I felt in honestly about 13 or 14 years. Amen. And listen, here's the thing. I know for some people that being healed through medicine isn't good enough for you, but it's a heck of a lot better than where I was. And if God chooses to heal me that way, I'll take it. But guys, I tell y'all that story to say this. Don't quit stepping. Don't quit trusting. Don't let the adversity that you face make you turn back to where you were. Don't let the adversity that you face make you quit on the promises of God. Keep trusting, keep stepping. Promise is true. The best is always yet to come for us as Christians, as believers. Because of what God has done for us. So don't turn back. Don't turn back from God. Don't turn back from what He wants to do. Don't let adversity keep you from going to the place that God 
wants to take you. This morning, I want to pray for us. And I just, I really just simply want to ask that God would give us the strength to continue in what he has for us. That we wouldn't turn back. That we keep stepping. We keep trusting. We keep choosing to believe the promises of God. And so I'm gonna pray and ask you to pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for the power of your promises, the power of the gospel, the power of your truth, the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. God, I pray for the person who's here today that wants to give up, God, that maybe they're in a dark place, maybe they're just in a place of great adversity, maybe they're like these Galatians who wanna turn back to where they came from. God, I pray we would remember all that you've done Pray that we would put our eyes on the promise. Jesus, I pray that we remember that no matter what we walk through, that you're there and that your promises are true. Would you flood us with your spirit to give us the strength to continue to take our next step with you? Let us lean into you, lean into each other and draw strength from both, Lord. We love you and thank you for all you do in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, hey, God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week and I pray that we'll continue to step and do everything that God puts before us.